Welcome to episode 539 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm your host, Jason Oakley. We have back again Australia's top two podcasters. I'm joined this week by Will Tomkinson. Ray, Will. Yeah. Hey, mate. How are you? Where's you been? We thought you was dead. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, for the last six weeks, I've just been as crook as a dog. Oh, man. Um, you shouldn't and, do that, you know. Uh, it's just been horrible, but yeah. Other than that, same old, same old. Cool. Uh, I suppose we should say Aussie Tech Heads is brought to you by ATH Web Hosting at athwebhosting.com.au. They have servers operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, easy install of WordPress, Joomla, and Drew Powell. I think that's how it's pronounced, isn't it? Oh, I don't even know <laughs> at this point. Alrighty, so should we get into some news then, perhaps? Might as well. And actually, it's interesting that uh, it was really, really tough work to find like four reasonable stories this week. Anything. Yeah, it's not great. CEO of Uber left, but apparently that was a good thing and bound to happen. We don't need to know <laughs> about that, I guess. Same thing with most CEOs leave, really. It's not really surprising to anybody. <laughs> it's like our mayor, Paul yep. Pasali. Yeah. Couple months ago, whatever it was, he his offices got raided, and mysteriously the next day he resigned for health reasons, and then a few days ago he was arrested for fraud or whatever it was. <laughs> so it's like this, nobody's being arrested by this. isn't very healthy, is it? Not good. For um, I'm going to warn you, listeners, straight up that I'm going to try to mute the microphone before I go into a coughing fit, but it can sometimes happen quite abruptly, and I may uh, definitely momentarily so I'm, i'll apologize in advance for that he might be a bit slow because he's from the country <laughs> it's because i can't breathe <laughs> all right let me start off with something netflix launches choose your own adventure style interactive shows for kids miss t tells me apparently this was news in january but it's come up again now for <laughs> yeah according to my reader it come up in january and they come <laughs> up today i don't know Children now have the power to decide the outcome of their favourite Netflix shows as the streaming giant branches out beyond linear television. Beginning with DreamWorks Puss in Boots Trapped in an Epic Tale, Netflix's new branching narrative titles let viewers dictate the outcome of the story. The Netflix original's interactive content is compatible with iPhones and iPads along with some smart televisions and games consoles, letting children tap on the touchscreen or use a remote control to decide what happens next. Trapped in an Epic Tale is available today as a standalone episode of Netflix's The Adventures of Puss in Boots series to be followed by an interactive episode of Buddy Thunderstruck in July and Stretch Armstrong next year. The interactive television launch follows two years of development and extensive research, working with both content creators and viewers to better understand what they want from the new medium, says Netflix's Director of Product Innovation, Dr. Carla Fisher. The flexibility of Netflix means that storytellers aren't beholden to the traditions of linear broadcast television, says DreamWorks Animation's television's Doug Langdale, executive producer of The Adventures of Puss in Boots and the writer of the first interactive episode. The story presents viewers with 13 choices, leading to two possible endings, with a running time from 18 to 39 minutes. Meanwhile, Buddy Thunderstruck, the maybe pile, will only offer eight choices, but with four possible endings. Does this sound like... Not exactly a Netflix thing because it doesn't come up in your Netflix screen, but it's apps that have been written for Android, uh, not for Android even, for iPhones and iPads 
and some smart televisions and it's just a game using some characters from Netflix interactive series? Pretty much. It's not really a, a Netflix game per se. It's just a yeah, it's a way to interact with the series. I mean, yep. don't get me wrong, I think it's great. I love the old Choose Your Own Adventure books at school. I used to seek them out in the library and read them all the time. I thought they were brilliant. They were great. I, used um, to, I saw recently somebody was showing um, maps that they'd done where you start off with the book and then it branches out and then those branch mm. out and then it all branches out and suddenly you've got all the different endings and where they cross over and it's yeah. all mapped out and people have been doing that through all the different books. That I'm must be fun to do. Down, writing down the writing down the page numbers and what decision I'd taken and which way it had gone and what the end result was. and Yeah. But I remember uh, I might have to be in uh, 2000-ish, yep. probably slightly before. Um, what, what DVD was the DVD came out? I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Hook. Oh. Um, and it had a choose-your-own-adventure um, game in the extras feature oh, of the okay. dvd and you'd go and you'd use the up and down and play like it would play the next cutscene, and there was multiple different cutscenes you could select for each for yep. each thing so i mean it's not a new idea but hopefully it's something that's uh, <sighs> there's a vhs game i think called nightmare nightmare yeah and i've they still had, got they that had the, the guy on that shelf behind me you can see it over there on that shelf behind me. oh okay yeah, the, the, well, you know more about it than I do. My cousins had it. I never actually got to play it, but the guy who's really scary type, dressed up dude, is, and he's like, "Okay, choose which do you want to do." And then you had, do you have to fast forward five minutes or something, or how did that work with VHS? No, no, it, he would. Um, you would have to, you'd have to keep an eye out for the marker that had a time code on the screen. Yep. And you'd get a card, and it says when it hits this time you can do this to your opponent or you get this benefit or you get this thing. And if you miss this time count, then you get this punishment. Ah. So you had, to keep, you had to keep your eye on the time counter. It was a very primitive way of doing it. It was the same sort of thing. It was an interact. It was a way of getting feedback from a one-way game effectively. Yep. Um, I've actually so got like zombie. Like the doctor on his DVDs in, um, what was that episode? Blink, don't blink. And he was he was saying half a conversation, and the other girl was saying the other half a conversation. <laughs> okay, I've got the uh, sequel up there called Zombie as well, which was the follow up to it, which is a slightly more modernised version of it. But uh, one thing I will say about that game: don't try and turn it into a drinking game because it ends really badly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by badly, Will? <laughs> um, Can well, you elucidate? <laughs> I only remember the first half of the countdown. That reminds me reminds me of when I was with friends and we played Monopoly and every time you had to pay rent, have a shot. <laughs> and then you start off with a very big glass with a shot of um, Johnny Walker and the rest Coke and slowly the ratio would change the other way around. Yeah. So in the end it was just all Johnny. <laughs> then you're up for most of the night. <clears throat> yes, that's the good old days when you could do that and get away with it. Yes, <laughs> not so much anymore. I've got a bottle of port sitting in there that's still three quarters full, and I got it at Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> surprising they last that long. Do you have any stories you want to talk on about? <laughs> As I said, there's nothing super uh, 
super exciting, but there's a couple that will be interesting to just bear in mind. Um, Australia now ends the GST-free threshold. So basically, uh, previously, if you ordered under $1,000 worth of goods and imported it privately, you didn't have to pay GST on it. Um, they've now voted, Parliament has gone through, the, the vote has gone through Parliament to scrap that. Um, so theoretically, all online retailers will now be charging uh, GST on all transactions because, you know, like iTunes and eBay wasn't there enough already. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things to take away from this. Currently, it's been delayed by a year, so it'll be July 1st, 2018 at this stage. Um, the Back in a, back in April, uh, eBay basically said if this goes ahead, they'll just block Australia from part of its, um, part of its selling platform because they just don't have time or effort to uh, be bothered to do it. Um, so what they've basically done is... So are they saying eBay doesn't have VAT for Europe or England? Uh, yeah, but their, mar- but their market's big enough to warrant it, see? Uh, we're not. No, we're only a couple of percent of their turnover. Amazon, That's and that's the reason we're so expensive for, you know, for Adobe and Microsoft and all these guys because we're a, couple, we're a minuscule percentage of their total... And if we don't buy it, we don't buy it. They don't care. Um, and this is the thing. Like, they're basically... And Amazon's saying the same thing. They're like, we're not... We can't be bothered. We don't have any local distribution outlets. Everything comes in from overseas. Why are we paying, you know? So, they're, they're still threatening that. So, there's still time for that to get turned over yet. They're also <laughs> trying to do it. The, the government's trying to send out every single online store and seller and retailer uh, basically a GST form to fill out so that every time a transaction comes through that makes the seller responsible for the collection of the GST and then they have to pay it to the government. So you can imagine all these sellers on... on uh, if you've ever used AliExpress... Smith on eBay who lives in Arkansas yeah, or if you've ever gone to charge you an extra $5 GST and then pay that to the Australian government. You've gone. You've been to AliExpress, and there's twenty-seven thousand sellers selling, you know, packs of a thousand resistors for twelve cents, including shipping. Do you really think they're going to give a crap about? <laughs> the, Good luck you know, chasing them down. Yeah, you know. So, and of course, it's all about it's all about revenue because the revenue expected to reap from the GST t- change is expected to be three hundred million over four years. So it's literally revenue. It's the only reason they're doing it. Um, now, bear in mind that we are. I obviously privately, I buy a lot of stuff online, huge amounts of stuff. Uh, I work for a small company, and we import a lot of stuff from from overseas and and sell it. Um, or we do batteries, you know, whether it's car batteries or phone batteries or watch batteries or whatever. So big variation. Um, and in no way do we see this benefiting us. Because at the moment, we are, say we're, a, we're, we're a small business, but what it means is we can buy, for example, just, I'll just use it as a, a weird example, but it's an example. I can buy, um, and I don't have one beside me, which is strange, uh, LED, uh, sorry, little solar flashlights yep. that we sell and work. We sell them for 20 bucks each. So people love them. They're a great little novelty thing, you know. We buy them for 
10 bucks each or whatever it was to pay for them. Yes. What that now means is we now have to put GST on top of that, <laughs> plus the freight costs is going to have GST on top of that as well. So that means the price of that unit is going to go up for us, which means we have to charge our customer more. So the whole thing of keeping the cost down for the retailer is a load of crap because not every company is a major international organization that has their own shipping lanes. Or just builds everything in Australia to sell. <laughs> Which doesn't happen. No, nobody does um, that. And one of the few companies that we deal with that does do that is GSL Electronics and they're based in Sydney. They make all their um, solar regulators and things um, which I don't have, well, I sort of, if you look up on my wall up here, for example, I have four GSL solar regulators just yep. on that wall. And they're all made in Sydney. The, the guys down there are pretty clear. They're all tech guys, you know. <laughs> their customer sales, it's, uh, customer service isn't great, but they're all techs, you know. You can, let them, you can let them off with that. But the thing is, they buy all their components from China. Well, not all their components, but all the standard off-the-shelf, run-of-the-mill components that every other manufacturer in the world uses, they get them from China like everyone else does. And they've bought 10,000 units at $3 because that's what everyone pays for it. But suddenly their costs are now going up 10% on everything they buy as well. So either on the small companies that are currently manufacturing things in Australia, it's still going to affect them because they're not buying, they're not manufacturing everything in Australia. There's still components being sourced from overseas. So this is going to have a massive big ripple on effect that the government obviously doesn't care about because they're, all they're looking at is the $300 million they're going to get over the next five years, four years. They must have run out of poor and sick people and old people to rip off, so they're looking somewhere. Where else can we get money from? Well, yeah, and the, the funny thing is, like, it's it's stupid that they... But the way they're trying to regulate this is ridiculous. They're trying to get each individual vendor to be responsible for, their own, for the tracking of their own GST. So basically, it means every single vendor has got to register for GST, and then put in a, you know, put in your quarterly bus or whatever it is. <laughs> well, if if you got uh, Joe's Electronics in the US and somebody buys ten resistors off you, are you going to work out a GST and submit it? No, you're just going to say no. I'm no longer going to sell anything to Australians because that's a tiny market anyway. Exactly, and that's and that's exactly what's going to happen. So the things that are now easily and relatively cheap and not cheap not cheap in terms of damaging our market, cheap in terms of there's nothing available here anyway, cheap. Yeah. You know, it's you can go to sure you can go to JCAR or RS components, you can buy a resistor for eleven dollars. But at the end of the day, that's not their core business anyway. They don't actually care if you go and buy a resistor off them or not. They just sell them. Yeah. You know. So it's not affecting them in any way because nobody goes and buys a resistor off. They might go and buy a, a you know a model kit or something, which is different. Raspberry Pi. You know, yeah, exactly. But they're not going to go there to buy, not going to go to JCAR to buy a resistor. You're just not. Yep. You know, you might go there, buy a few other things and a resistor while you're there. Um, but yeah, you just bought your box of, you know, a thousand of them for, for 12 cents or whatever you've paid for it. And now you can't. So now that one device that you've used, say you use 10 of these resistors in this device and it's cost you a fraction of a cent for all these 10. You're now using 10 resistors. You can now only buy them in Australia thanks to these ridiculous laws that have basically made it impossible to get stock into the country. Um, and because there's only like JCAR and RS Components who now sell these, they're now worth $25 each. So you've now got $250 resistors sitting there on your board before you put any other components on it. 
I think I can see how this is going to benefit a lot of Australian companies. <laughs> Who's going to be able to buy the $600 4K monitor from Amazon? Hmm. Amazon will go, well, no, we just won't sell to Australia. So you have to go, well, I'll have to get it from, well, Harvey Norman, Officeworks, and maybe Kogan if you're lucky, but his prices are going to go up too. His prices will go up too, yeah. So you're going to have higher prices and can only buy it from Australian companies. Hmm. Unless you use a dropship service and a VPN and go around the whole deal anyway. Yep. <laughs> so, it's only going to, yet again, thanks to the way government, you know, thinks, it's only going to affect the people who can't afford it. Yep. The people who can afford it are the ones who it's not going to affect because they've already figured out how to get around it. It's exactly the same as the Pirate Bay blocking, oh, by the way, which, you know, is still super successful and all the other <laughs> other ones still work. <laughs> what other ones? I don't know what you're talking about. We did a, did a show a couple of weeks ago with Glenn and this is a news article. The following torrent sites have been blocked and it's named on the website. So you can go, oh, there's a good, there's a name of a bunch of torrent sites I never heard of. I better go check them out. <laughs> See what they've been published. <laughs> Uh, calls uh, to yeah. wipe social media history when kids turn 18. Cyber safety gurus are calling in on the government to follow in the footsteps of the UK and introduce a law allowing people to wipe their social media history when they become adults. Companies including Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat and Instagram will be required to permanently delete everything posted by an individual before the age of 18 if requested under the law announced in yesterday's Queen's speech. Ill-advised social media posts by young people. Do young people post <laughs> ill-advised social media? <laughs> do young people take pills? Really? Do they do <laughs> dumb crap? Are they stupid? No. <laughs> no, because none of the sites you, you have to be over eighteen to use all the sites. See, so you couldn't possibly. Exactly. <laughs> Ill-advised social media posts by young people and their peers are increasingly coming back to haunt them later in life. Child psychologist Michael Carr-Gregg, who is part of the government's online safety work group, said the law was a brilliant idea that could save a lot of heartache and prevent serious mental health issues. One of the characteristics of children is their brains aren't fully developed yet. They tend to do things without thinking about the consequences, post something on Snapchat and later regret it. There was a 15-year-old girl recently who took a full nude selfie and sent it to her boyfriend. He sent it to 20 mates and it had her name on it. A cybersecurity expert told me that could end up on a porn site with her name on it. It could affect her getting a job and her whole life. Mr. Carr Greg said these sorts of experiences had led to increased anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation and even suicide. UK law will apply to all adults, not just people who are children now, which could prove immediate, immensely valuable to over-18s currently battling to have certain data on them removed from the internet. It's hoped it will strengthen rights and give users more control over their personal data. Boy, are we so happy that there wasn't all this social media oh, around when crap. we were young and stupid. No, when we were young and stupid, people just remembered and talked about it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and if there was photos passed around, then tough. Didn't they have any photos back then? I'm well, sure there was, was the say, invention of a camera before I was born. But even then, there was a thing called a Polaroid camera, which was still an instant camera. Mm -hmm. And if you did something stupid, chances are somebody got a photo. Because even when I was growing up, everybody had within, you know, not too far a distance, somebody had a, a disposable camera or a point-and-shoot laying around somewhere. 
What happens when you do dumb stuff when you're 30 and post it online? Do you get to delete well, that? This too? is my point. What's the difference between being... If you're... If you're... Well, to start with, if you're a parent and you're letting your kid post stuff like that, you've got issues. It's not the kid's fault. Um, but if you're not respons- mature enough to be using these services, don't use them. I mean, it's no different than when... when well... When we were younger, people I used to know and didn't use those role models used to do things that you shouldn't have. <laughs> and, um, you know, like throwing rocks at cars or chucking eggs at you know, houses. Make a or, movie series or, called Jackass. Yeah. I'm, well, yeah, that's my point. <laughs> but when we were a kid, we weren't allowed to do it. When you're an adult, it's perfectly fine. People laugh at you and you get paid for the privilege. Yep. You know, like uh, the part of the problem with society is right there. There's this distinction that you're 18, you're this side of 18, everything you do is is moulding your future and preparing you to be a better person. You hit 18, then you're on your own at this point. Whatever you do, you know, deal with it. Too bad. And um, Just remember, people, once it's been put on any internet thing or electronic device, it's public forever. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say is... Don't the, forget the, internet, the Streisand effect, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a... Well, really... It's effectively the butterfly effect if you want to think about it. Like if you, even if you did say have the power to go back and erase everything pre your 80th birthday that's online, which there's a few years there for me, probably not for you, but for me there'd be half a dozen years there. Um, then that would not make the rest of my timeline make sense. Yeah. You know, if you then looked at the stuff I've done since then, a lot of that is a direct causation of what had happened earlier. So the very first websites I built, the very first lots of photos and designs and concepts and videos and things I put up weren't great. And I'm only ashamed of them because they were like GeoCities quality. So go um, to the internet archive <laughs> and look up Bill's websites. No, I'm trying to find them. They're not even on that. I think they're oh, too bad even no. for that. It's sad. I did pull my, my GeoCities down before they went down. I did take that back. I've mine, got a copy mine's of that. On, mine's on the U-Cities website. No, I still it? get to it. No, mine wasn't. Mine didn't get turned, oh, but I did have a copy of it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, if you go back and you get rid of that, then all I've got is basically even the first couple of years of me being a computer tech and me designing. Well, actually, you've seen one of the websites I designed, the computer it's shop. Still there, yeah. It's still there. It's still there. They're actually still using it, ironically, and that was ninety. Six, and they're still using the same website. Isn't front page great? <laughs> um, but the the thing is, like, if you take that away, then I'm not who I am now. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how embarrassed or look back at that and go, really, that's me? How, you know, what, why, what's going on? <laughs> um, why would it do such a thing? But if you take that away from there, that's it's, it's like taking away four or five years of my life in real- reality because they were one and the same thing. And I think it's exactly the same problem here. You can't take away, let's say somebody signed up to Facebook at 14 and they're now 18 and want to clear. And technically they weren't supposed to anyway, but whatever. Yep. That's four years of your life, good, bad or indifferent, Gone. that that is your memories, that is your friends, that is what happened. That's the way society is now. Everything that's on there is things that happened in reality at some point in time that happened in reality to get onto Facebook. You know, why you got to take the good with the bad and that's just the way it works why do you want to don't post it 
Well, yeah, um, I mean that, and that is part of the rule of the internet. One, as soon as it's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. You can you can retract a statement or you can retract a post, but in reality, it's still there. And especially, don't send it to your super awesome BFF or <laughs> FFF forever because one day they might not be. Well, that's that's, but that's no different to anything. I mean, back before, take the internet out of the equation. Go back to the days of, you know, love ones sending love letters to each other via, you know via um, horse and carriage, you know. Yep. The principle's still exactly the same. It's, you know, on one side, you've got this guy who gets these lovely letters, he chucks them in the bin. On the other side, you get this woman who gets all these beautiful letters, she reads them, cries over them, throws them in her, in her chest, you know. It, it's no different. It's exactly the same principle. Exactly. The only difference is back then, if you had an issue, you'd jump on a horse and you'd fight somebody. These days, you'd do it online. Yep. <laughs> and I know which one's much more manly and shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Any more stories from you? Uh, a couple that are weirdly tied in together. Um, let us fix it. Five. Uh, I can't talk, Rewind. but it's, it's okay. It's my fault. Uh, 55 speed and red light cameras across Victoria have been infected with ransomware. The state's police forces confirmed Victoria Police said it was in discussion with the state's Justice Department and the independent operator of its road safety system, Redflex about the incident um oh, which by the way by the fact they've just admitted that means every red right every uh, infringement caught on camera is null and void because it's a third party operation but anyway i just um, read in that article they said all the infringements <laughs> are still right they didn't make any mistakes right, yeah. right. <laughs> we can still charge you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh yeah basically so saying all their stuff's infected okay and i was reading a bit further i won't i won't mention the, the th- the thing just yet, the, the punchline of that just yet, but there's another uh, <clears throat> Honda was forced to halt production of the Japanese vehicle plant for a day this week after finding ransomware had struck globally last month on its computer network. Now, how these both stories come together? Mm-hmm. WannaCry. WannaCry ransomware has held both, it's basically shut down the Honda manufacturing plant. Um, where it makes its uh, the Accord, the Odyssey, and a few other bits and pieces. Yep. Uh, it's been an affected network across Japan, North America, Europe, China, and other regions. Um, it came in despite best efforts to keep the system, to keep it out. Um, it's starting to affect uh, hospitals and shops as well. Um, spread to uh, more than 200,000 computers in more than 150 com- countries has slowed slightly since the last month but have warned there's a new version on the way um so yeah so WannaCry shut down that and WannaCry shut down yeah affected over uh 55 speed and red light cameras in the Victorian police. but yeah WannaCry basically stop um, running stuff on windows it's one of those yeah one of those ransomware ones where they it's it's the the best of the worst business model. They basically take your data, they lock it up in a secure vault and charge you money to get it back. Yep. <laughs> and you've got to trust this company that's just taken all your files at ransom. That I thought there was a country in the news recently, I think, um, had got, we we're going to pay $1.2 million to have computers unlocked for the government. Yeah, I mean, you don't really have a choice. But well, you do. You can stop using Windows. We can stop visiting stupid sites or opening stupid emails. Oh, this one. This one came in through SMB. Oh, okay. 
It was, but Microsoft said it wasn't their fault. It was the. Oh no. Um, was it the FBI who had tools that could enable WannaCry and the tools got leaked and they didn't? Yeah, it was the um, when I was getting into people's hackers, uh, routers yeah. to monitor their usage. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering if they're still doing that. Thanks, FBI. <laughs> if we go, yeah, get, that's why you've been going black and white lately. Get, the FBI is inside your router. Get <laughs> out of my webcam. They're in it. your router. <laughs> get them out your router. No, it's a Chelsea router. If they were in there, it wouldn't be working. Netflix and other streaming services could be forced to carry a certain (laughs) quota of Australian content. Netflix, Stan, and other streaming services could be blocked from the Australian market if a certain quota for local is not maintained. This is a concept currently being debated by the government in a comprehensive review of Australian and children's screen content on subscription video on demand services. The review aims to provide policy options on the most effective way to support Australian content in the current digital landscape. As it currently stands, Australian's commercial free-to-air television networks are forced to offer 55% local content on main channels between 6am and midnight. This further broken down with sub-quotas for Australian drama, documentary and children's programs to be met. Yet there is currently no such legislation requiring streaming services like Netflix, Stan and Amazon Prime Video to offer the same. Conducted by the Department of Communications and the Arts, the Australian Communications and Media Authority and Screen Australia, the review hopes to develop reasonable local content quotas for streaming services. Over the past decade, fundamental changes have taken place in the media landscape defined by the entry of new online services offering catch-up TV, streaming, subscription video on demand and user-generated video, the Department of Communications wrote. While industry changes provide new opportunities for Australia's world-class screen practitioners to deliver their work to new audiences here internationally, they've also challenged existing business models. In this rapidly changing environment, it's necessary to review our support and regulatory measures to ensure they remain fit for purpose for the digital era. The government body explained it is vital to our country that Australian stories are conceived, produced and distributed to domestic and international audiences. Content produced in Australia or under Australian creative control reflects and shapes our national identity, character and cultural diversity, the department wrote. When exported, Australian content promotes an Australian view of the world and showcases our cultural and creative talents. It also delivers economic benefits and encourages tourism. So, you want to see more Aussie shows on Netflix? Put a bit of Neighbours on there or something? Well, I mean, if you're pandering to that audience, wouldn't you do that anyway? You know, Get like, you and McAuliffe on there. Yeah, I mean, even if... Even bring back some of the old stuff he can't get anymore. You know, bring Watch back um, Sons and Daughters and, you know... The Lake show. Kingswood Country <laughs> and, yeah. Bring back all that old stuff, you know. I mean, <coughs> you want the... The current generation aren't going to switch to Netflix just for that benefit, but the older generation may. You may get extra customers because they're going to have all these older shows they grew up with. They're going to be comfortable with this new technology. They're not necessarily going to have Foxtel because there's nothing on there for them anyway. Yep. So if you've got all these older shows on there, and especially the older movies like All the Rivers Run and Anzacs and you know, all these classic Australian bloody movies. Jack that are, show, watch your show <laughs> or rip your bloody arms off. It's still one of the best shows ever. Um you know, like, yeah, you know, um, I think it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I don't know if they can technically legislate like that per se. Uh, because wouldn't be being 
Maybe no, 10. no, 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 no. It'd be that'd be impossible. There, would, there wouldn't be fifty-five percent content that they could, you know. But I think they should be they should be mandated to say, look, you should at least have an Australian an Australian thing, you know, do us a favour and at least put some. But then again, I can see where they're going to go with that. They're going to be like, okay, well, give us you know a hundred shows to put up here. I'm not going to give them to you. You can rent them off us. Yep. You know what I mean? Like. I think uh, the Australian government doesn't actually know how Netflix works. Like Netflix pays rights to the holders of the shows to play the shows. Um, and that obviously, the amount of that varies depending on how popular the show is and how many views it gets. And charge them GST on top. To and if, sure. Yeah. And if you take a show like, I don't Skippy. know, take a show that take an older show like say MacGyver. That's an old show, but there's multiple generations who enjoy it across multiple countries. So yeah. it's going to have a massive viewership so if they charge them a a fraction of a cent per view they're still going to make good money on that the 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 rights holder if you take something like um kingswood country there's going to be 11 farmers and a dog who's going to get great enjoyment from it so you know what i mean like they, they have to be prepared to basically give these shows away for nothing for them to be able to do that so I think it's great, but at the same time, I think they really have to think about their their strategy behind that process. It's it's almost it's almost going to be counterproductive if they're not careful. So, and uh, dun, dun, dun. heard many updates on how Channel Ten's going. Speaking of shows, <laughs> game over Channel Ten. I mean, they're still broadcasting. Well, they're going to go private so that the billionaires can take control of it instead of. Well, what do you mean the billionaire? The billionaires already did have control of it. Murdoch and Packer own most of it. Even more so. <laughs> so it can be another biased, single-sided, opinionated TV show. We've already got plenty of those. We got they're called newspapers. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what. To, I mean, Kick well, this bloody mob out. These mobs what? are letting the terrorists in. You don't want to support them, do you? Hey, we're what, Australian what quacky. We're full. <laughs> Get out. What was funny was Murdoch, Packer, and Bruce Gordon all pulled the plug out of the shares, which was like 70% or um, 70, yeah, it's like 70, 60%, something like that between them. And then Alira, which is Murdoch's private investment firm, held another nearly 10% on its own. So he was probably had the biggest share anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the funny thing is, it looks like Alira is going to single handedly own it which basically means it's going to be run by murdoch yeah so i won't say who but my dad (laughs) had some money invested in a shopping center and a um certain ritual type person had shares in there and they're like oh you know we're not getting enough businesses investing in here so you can either lose all your money you've invested in your shares or i'll buy them at uh two-thirds of the price that you paid so at least you'll get some of your money back so everyone voted well i guess something is better than nothing so they voted to get two-thirds and then uh once they'd done that the share price dropped and that rich person bought all the shares and then owned it and then filled up the supermarket with all the shops that for some reason wouldn't go there until he owned it all yeah funny that because that never happens in real life 
That, that never happened in Lismore, where there were a certain name that rhymes with John Chant um, was a councillor, as well as owning a heap of land and a heap of property there. And, you know, that never happened there either. <sighs> <sighs> eBay so. will now match Amazon's, Walmart's, and others' prices on over 50,000 items. As Amazon and Walmart continue their battle to become the world's largest retailer, Another long-time rival in the e-commerce business, eBay, is now stepping up its game as well. The company this morning announced a new price match guarantee for over 50,000 items across its site, promising it'll have the best deals online or it will match the lowest price of a competitor. The move is a significant effort on eBay's part to ensure that it doesn't lose customers to Amazon, Walmart and other online stores as the market consolidates behind the industry's major players. However, only certain only select items are available for this price match guarantee ebay says in order to qualify the item must be one of the new unopened items sold daily through ebay deals for starters deals are ebay's section of trending inventory across all its categories like consumer electronics home and garden and fashion the deals are also generally offered at 20 percent to 90 percent off and are sourced from over 900 of ebay's trusted sellers these sellers include both smaller merchants looking to grow their customer base as well as major consumer brands. At any time, eBay says there are tens of thousands of items offered through the deals site with featured deals updating at least once per day beginning at 8 a.m. PT. Well, that should be interesting. Everyone's yeah, going you, for a bit of a race there. When you read the... So obviously, brand new unopened items. Found competitors. To be eligible, the item should be available at Amazon.com. BestBuy.com, Walmart.com, HomeDepot.com, Target.com, Sears.com, Wayfair.com, or Jet.com. That's it. So basically, most of those people actually have stores on eBay anyway. Ah. So probably will already have price matched anyway. And it's only America, obviously. So. Well, my internet speed's gone up, but yours has gone down by the looks of things. It's getting no, a bit blocky there. Mine's it's fine coming back to me. Like, you're coming back to me. Okay, it's, I'm not. It's coming back to me. A bit weird. You might. I think Wirecast might be broken again. Again? Yeah. Do you have any... Do the, um, do the screen. Wait until you finish being frozen there. Do <laughs> the, the flip screen flip. Yep. The, uh, what is it? Refresh on the screen. There. Oops, oh, you moved yep, a bit. Yep, there yep, we go. Yep, yep. I'm going to catch up. There we go. <laughs> Have you got any more stories before I go over the top of you again? And uh, Just quickly, um, New South Wales Police signed a, because nobody's learnt their lesson yet, signed a five-year, $55 million deal with IBM. Weren't they <coughs> responsible for the mess of the census? And? <laughs> All the other stuff. <laughs> and the... the um, was that the big security failure? The, was it Centrelink one or the, the taxation department one? One of those big breakdowns? Yeah, taxation, and, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, but apparently... It's no, a no, good track fine. record. They're going um, for a, a, a try. <laughs> so, the New South Wales Police Forces consolidated a handful of existing support deals with IBM into one mega contract with IBM. Mm, great. Which also gives them the ability to tap into other software within the giant's reach. The so-called Topaz 2 agreement runs until June 30th, 2021. While the force declined to provide details on it, citing confidentiality, 
Yeah, reveal the contract bundles up previous maintenance and support agreements. Um, it's funny because they have a they have a a, a cops is their core operational program support or opera, core operational program system. It's called cops is their main program that they use across the country, which sits on the mainframe. Um, now that's the software that I'm pretty sure back in. Um, 2013, something like that. They stopped buying licenses for, right? And for like the last five years, have been using it unlicensed. Oops. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's that specific program, but I know one of their programs actually did that, and it was yeah, three or four years, and they went, "Hey, hang on, you've only got license for twenty-five thousand terminals, and you're running it on like fifty thousand." They went, "Oh yeah, that happens. Whatever." <laughs> What are you um, going to do? Charges and send us to jail? Yeah, you know, so... But uh, it'll be interesting to see because obviously uh, the the other thing they screwed up was the um, the census. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is what happens when you try and get 100,000 cops trying to log onto their database at once. It's because they've had huge success with that so far. <laughs> Good luck. You're need it. <laughs> so when they go to arrest you and they actually can't because they can't fill out the paperwork, you can think, I'm him. What's your name? Uh, Ken. <laughs> Tucky. We can't look that up at the moment on our system because it's down, so we'll just take your word for it, um, Ken. That's it. Do you have a valid driver's license? Yes. Have you lost any points? No. <laughs> no. Of, of course not. I'm... Uh, Safe driver, I never speed. <laughs> I never do speed. I mean, I never speed. <laughs> I've never been caught speeding, he says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Microsoft has admitted that it does temporarily disable antivirus software on Windows PCs following a competition complaint to the European Commission by a security company. We talked about this in previous shows. In early June, Kapersky Lab filed the complaint against Microsoft. The security company claims the software giant is abusing its market dominance by steering users to its own antivirus software. Microsoft said it implemented defenses to keep Windows 10 users secure. In an extensive blog post that does not directly address Kapersky or its claims, Microsoft says it bundles the Windows Defender antivirus with Windows 10 to ensure that every single device is protected from viruses and malware. We built Windows Defender antivirus to make a promise to our customers that every Windows 10 device always has protection from viruses and malware. Our test results are among the top security industry leaders, including recent real-world testing, where Windows Defender antivirus scored over 99% detection rates, writes Blog Lefferts, Rob Lefferts, a partner director of Windows and Devices Group in Enterprise and Security at Microsoft. We also know that Windows customers value choice, that's why we actively engage with and support a community of over 80 de- independent software vendors through the Microsoft Virus Intu- in- Initiative Program. The engineering program enables us to share key technical details of Microsoft technologies with our AV partners to collaborate on future directions and problem solve our existing security challenges to protect our shared customers from malicious software. So why is it they mentioned months ago don't rely on Windows Defender for your main antivirus because it's really not that good and you should get something else. But we put in a basic antivirus just so people don't have nothing. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I remember specifically, was it 
middle of last year, something like that, Bulletin coming out saying we're wrapping up the... F- well, wasn't that Windows Essentials or something? To say, to say that we built Windows but, Defender antivirus, first they purchased antivirus software from giant technologies. They bought the IP and everything and then started uh, installing it in Windows as Windows Defender antivirus, as far as I know. So That's right, yeah. They didn't build it themselves they are no. now <laughs> yeah that's what that's what, yeah i'm sure because that's what i i read this article i think must have been the last week when i was tied up in bed at one point i'm sitting there thinking to myself hang on i'm sure it was only a few months ago they said don't use this as a primary but keep it on your system as a secondary but not as a primary because it's not going to be up to date as the rest of them yeah um, and I've only ever seen the the once a month hotfix come through for it, um, and I don't know. It's, I mean, it's no, it's no big surprise that they admit to turning off other antivirus. I mean, most just about every program you go to install recommends you turn off the antivirus to make the install work correctly because it's possible to get a false trigger from any virus when anything is being updated so um i understand why they do that and that's not really a big deal because it's only for a couple of minutes while your system is being updated anyway you can turn it back um, on or reinstall well i do turn it back on so that's that's what i mean like, it's only turned off whilst that critical file is being updated yep. and then it turns that the antivirus is back on like it's that's not news I didn't think. I thought everybody knew that because every time you go to install a program, especially something that's got to do major driver installs or things like that, it always tells you to uninstall or to um, temporarily disable your antivirus. Yeah. The reason they say that is because when you are doing things like driver updates and re re and registering um, registering files and registering permissions and registering that sort of stuff, it can trigger um, active Positive. antiviruses. So if you just disable it for five minutes you know, you're going to make sure you don't have a problem. I mean, you do have to remember to turn it on, but most antiviruses have, whenever I click on them, they say disable for, you know, five, ten minutes or till next restart or, you know, it's got a few options there. So, um, but, yeah, I I don't, and I mean, just to prove the point you don't need it, I still have a laptop sitting over there and it's never had any virus on it and it's never had a virus. (laughs) So, if you're smart, you'd st- and I still claim this. If you are smart, you do not need antivirus. The viruses that you would get, being smart and being clever, the the viruses you would get, you would get with an antivirus because they're not coming in in a form that an antivirus would reach would catch anyway. Or at zero day. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, look. Whilst I always say don't put your trust 100% in antiviruses, make sure you do have a good operational. As I said, my my two favourites are either AVG or Advanced. Always have been. I've always found them to be relatively lightweight, relatively... Um, yep, I've got Advanced free antivirus. It's yeah, you know, they're lightweight. They're updated regularly. They always score really well on the benchmarking. You have to pay um, $60 a year. No, every six months you've got to just say, yes, I'm still interested. Please register me for another six months. Um, they do have other features you can pay for. If you want the firewall and you want all that sort of stuff, yeah, absolutely. You go Identity for it. Identity protection. Um, but you don't need to do any of that sort of stuff. No. Um, well, here we go. Here's an article from October 4th, 2013. 
Microsoft Security Essentials, i.e. Windows Defender on Windows 8, was once on top. Over the years, it slid in test results, but Microsoft argued the tests weren't meaningful. Now Microsoft is advising Windows use a third-party antivirus instead. Yeah, yeah it was that's... 2013. Yeah, but I'm doing yeah. a doing a current search, and now there's a lot of websites that are saying disable every antivirus except for Windows Defender because it's the only one worth using. <laughs> How interesting is that? Several mm -hmm. articles about that. Disable your antivirus software except Microsoft's Chrome and Google Chrome engineer says. Antivirus security suites are not necessary and AV vendors are a little help. Google Chrome engineers echo the same message, referring that Microsoft's built-in software is indeed the most well-behaved security suite. Hmm. Okay, interesting. I still wouldn't trust it because it's a Microsoft product. I've got enough of those on my computer. Avast is good. Stick with Avast. Yeah. You can't Avast go wrong. <laughs> that, they also have advantages too that, um, you know... You, you know how they're going to behave in a certain situation. Like, I know I've got one particular game that with AVG, it doesn't worry. With Avast, on my laptop, I've got AVG, I think, and on here I've got Avast. Yep. Um, no, other way around. And on my laptop, it doesn't trigger it. The game doesn't trigger it. On here, it does. I've got the uh, virus scanner into gaming mode. Otherwise, uh -huh. it freaks the virus scanner out. So, it's, it's you know, you know your little quirks like that. Um, but, yeah, I... That's interesting. I have to look more into it, but I don't know. I mean, how much do you trust Microsoft? Look what they did with Skype. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why <laughs> are we not recording any of these shows via Skype anymore? Yeah, oh, gee, I wonder why, bit. Mr. T. <laughs> you know, um, that's probably the problem. I've actually got Skype open. That's probably probably part of the reason, see? But, uh, well, it's um, built into Windows 10 now, so you can have it all the time, uh, even if you're not using it. Isn't that wonderful? Well, I'm running Windows 7, and it's not actually built in. It's still separate, but it that's might as well be built in. It's so in, That's so integrated into everything anyway. Um, Any more stories from you? Uh, probably, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Had it. i got to go and, and go sleep. <laughs> I've been awake for like four hours. That's me done. Oh, uh, no. All right, we'll just finish off with a quick little one. Curiosity rover decides by itself what to investigate on Mars. NASA's Curiosity rover landed on Mars in 2012 in part to analyse rocks to see whether the red planet was ever habitable or inhabited. But now the robot has gone off script picking out its own targets for analysis precisely as planned. Directing a robot's every move from another planet isn't easy. Communication with programmers can be delayed by hours thanks to issues with bandwidth and the alignment of relay satellites and antennas. So Curiosity was programmed to fill communications gaps aimed, aiming at its ChemCam, which shoots objects with a laser to analyze the resulting particles at mostly random targets. Last year, NASA scientists found a better solution. They uploaded a piece of software called Autonomous Exploration for Gathering Increased Science, Aegis, adapted from older Opportunity Rover. Curiosity can now scan each new location and use its artificial intelligence to find promising targets for its ChemCam. Compared with the estimated 24% success rate of randomly aiming and picking out outcrops, a prime target for investigation, the current version of Aegis lets Rover find them 94% of the time. Researchers report today in Science Robotics. Further updates will refine Rover's ability to evaluate and prioritise targets. Hopefully, none of them are friendly. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, 
Speaking of that, did you see that there's a um, a mob in the UK um, saying that that the Mars uh, rovers are actually on a location um, in. Let's see what, what the name of the place is called. Uh, it's in the UK somewhere. Oh, come on. It's actually on uh, Devon Island in southern Ca- in southern Canada. Um, it's the most uninhabited place on Earth, just oh. about. And uh, you can't really see my screenshots there, but if you if you go to just search for um, um, Mars Mars rover hoax or something like that, it'll come up. But it's interesting. They show you screenshots of um, where the rover is taking its its some of its footage from. Yep. They stitch together some of the photos, and then you look at the actual landscape footage of this same terrain, and it's identical. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, not saying they, they are. They didn't land on Mars, but, and they didn't land on the moon. So, it's, it's interesting, though. And they, what, what I find interesting is they use this place already. It's actually... Um, it's known that they, that's where they actually test their rovers before they send them to Mars. Oh, Okay. It just happens that all the photos coming back look 100% exactly like the test footage that's shot from these test robots. Ah. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Mm. Oh, dear. So, we should wrap up the show, I guess. Just about. Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, <laughs> twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Click the like button if you've uh, watched us on Facebook. If you're watching us via podcast, go to load us up in Facebook and then click the like button, I guess. Or YouTube. Comment. <laughs> YouTube. Email us, glenn at aussietechheads.com.au, will at aussietechheads.com.au, warlock, that's me, W-A-U-L-O-K at aussietechheads.com.au, and uh, Eric, if you want to bug him, eric at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com 24-7, play back-to-back of some of the best tech-related shows, podcasts from around Australia and New Zealand. You might even one day get another Obsidian Loft or Old Fart Geeks. We'll work on that. Definitely, there's definitely an old fart geeks coming. I've got a concept for one, and I'm working on it right now. Sweet, and new shows are added every each Friday to AussieTechRadio.com. Thanks for being with us, and we'll catch you again next time. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.